as we start our, our, our message today, I was thinking about something that happened this week. And it just as a reminder, uh, it's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to be a Christian. And I don't know, I don't know if you are into the news and kind of staying on what's happening, but uh, this week it was something very interesting where um, Senator Bernie Sanders w- was, was in front of a guy who um, was nominated to be President Trump's Office of Management and Budget. Anybody ever heard of that, like, Department of the Government, Office of Management and, 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 and Budget? Like, I've never heard of that. And I want to clarify, this isn't a political message. I I mean, I don't care where you are politically. Uh, But there was an observation that I made in this dialogue between uh, Senator Sanders and um, uh, this guy that's the the nominee. Um, the The observation is that when we live out our core beliefs as Christians, when we live out our core beliefs as Christians, we're going to find this to be increasingly difficult. Because this nominee, this nominee... This is what he said. He said, I believe that salvation is through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That's a foundational belief to Christianity. Like that is, that is what it is about. And this, this, this nominee, he wrote a blog post and said, I believe that, that salvation is through Jesus alone. And if you believe in any other God, then you're missing out on salvation, uh, uh, in eternity in heaven. And Senator Sanders says, you can't say that. That's, that's, that's bigoted. That, that's hateful. You cannot say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And this is where I look and I say, for you and I, if we're going to live out our faith, if we're going to be Christians and stand for what biblical Christianity is all about, man, that's hard. It's become increasingly difficult because of the, the political society around us, because of the culture around us, where Christianity is increasingly marginalized. And, and, and obviously, Yakima, we're, 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 you know, it's kind of like a Bible belt in itself in, in, in Yakima. You know what I'm talking about. You've lived on the other side. It's a little bit of a Bible belt in, in comparison with other parts of our state. But, but man, it is becoming increasingly difficult for us to, to, to live and, and to stand firm as to our faith and, and what we believe. And this is a perfect time for us to consider the book of 1 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to, to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, if you uh, need a Bible, slip your hand up. We've got an usher in the back, and he'll come and bring one to you. Uh, if you have a phone, you're welcome to pull it up on your phone, uh, the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter, it's interesting because Peter is writing this, this, this letter to Christians. And he's writing to them in, in, in a season where times are changing. Um, in the beginning of the early church... Uh, the government was rather um, unconcerned with a new religion. Christianity had started, and the government said, ah, whatever, it's, you know, they're doing their thing, whatever it is. But as the church became, began to grow, as, as more and more Christians professed their faith in Jesus and, and, and started following after Jesus, um, the government began to um, increase their constrictions. Uh, and they began to make it more and more difficult to live as a Christian, to stand for your faith, to live it out. And so this was a time of stress and anxiety, uh, of trying to encourage Christians, hey, hey, you've got to stand firm despite the society around us, despite Christianity being marginalized and no longer being uh, blatantly accepted or, or, or allowed. And so this letter was written by, by Peter to these Christians uh, to show them how to have power in their soul, how to have power to stand for their faith in times of stress and times of anxiety. Trying to encourage them not just to endure life, but to be joyful. And to have our lives be, be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. To say this is how we do this, how we live our faith out, how we stand in our faith. Because I think the reality of it, and, and I don't know about your life, the reality that I've noticed in my life is, is busying, be, having my life be full of the fruit of the Spirit, to, to be focused on, on loving other people. Man, that's hard enough in the best of circumstances. But then when you're trying to, to, to live the Christian faith out, when your world's falling apart, when everything's falling down around you, when, when life is crashing in, man, it takes a power that is utterly beyond us. And that's what we want to see in the book of 1 Peter, how we can have a firm foundation, that we can stand for our faith in the midst of a season, in the midst of a, of a society that can increasingly marginalizes our Christianity. So with that, uh, we're going to be in 1 Timothy today, excuse me, 1 Peter today. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, we're going to look, look at verses 3 through 12. And I'm going to ask you, if you are able, if you would stand with me, and um, we'll read along uh, together. Words will also be on the screen behind me, so you can follow along there. First Timothy, first Peter, first Peter, first Peter. All right. First Peter chapter one. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that they had been announced to you through those who preached the good news uh, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look into. That's God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. And uh, thankful, Lord, just to be able to, to teach your word today. Uh, God, I'm glad we're not here to hear uh, just a man's opinions on how to live. But God, we can open up your word and have your word speak to us. So God, you know who we are. You know what we've dealt with this past week. You know uh, where life is. And God, I just pray that you would speak to us, every one of us individually. Uh, God, what it is we need to hear today that you would let us hear. That you'd let us be convicted. That you'd let us be encouraged. That you'd help us to stand firm in our faith. God, we love you and praise you. And we plead for your presence with us now, Jesus. In your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, you are welcome to go ahead and have a seat. Uh, as I look at this passage, I, I want to, again, deal with this idea. We've got to understand the context of what First Peter is, is written to. Peter is writing to, to people who are facing um, trials. They're facing some hardships because of their faith. And so in the midst of facing uncertainty, uh, I want to look at three reasons why you and I can stand on our faith. Why we can stand firm in our faith. Why we can stand out on our faith and we can rely and trust in our faith to carry us through whatever the circumstances are around us. So we'll start verse 3. 
Verse 3, Peter writes and says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. And the question I want to ask you is, why does he start with mercy? I mean, here, Peter's talking and dialoguing to people about facing hardships, and he starts with mercy. Like, why does he start with mercy? Like, when I see people going through a hard time, like, I see good people, people I love, people I know who are good people. I'm like, God, God, why does bad things happen to good people? I mean, you ever ask that question? You're looking around, and you're looking, man, I've got this person in my life. I love them. I care for them. They're a good person. And, and why are they having all this bad stuff happening to them? We can always be in that situation where we begin to wonder, you know, why, why, why does that happen? In fact, this question, why does bad things happen to good people? This question has been a question that has been dealing with humanity since the very beginning of time. Let me ask you this. What's the first book of the Bible? What's the first book that was written in the Bible? Genesis. Ah, Genesis actually tells you about the beginning, but it wasn't written in the beginning. The first book of the Bible, uh, many believe, is to be the book of Job. You know what the book of Job is about? It's about this question right here. Why does bad things happen to good people? Read the book of Job. It's a great story. But this question is something that, that all of us need to have an answer to because this becomes one of the easiest ways for some to object to Christianity. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I think this is why, this is why Peter starts talking about mercy. Because again, the way that we look at it the way that we see it is, why do bad things happen to good people? But the Bible looks at it from a different way. It has an opposite approach. Instead of asking, why does bad thing happen to good people? The Bible says, the world is under a curse. The Bible says that all of humanity is under the, 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 the fall of Satan. We're under this curse. And that means our kids, man, they're a part of the human race. They're a part of that curse. They suffer because of the curse. Well, what about, what about people who have never heard of God, never heard of the gospel? Listen, all people are under the curse. We all are bent towards rebellion, towards resisting authority. And so the question isn't, why does God allow bad to happen to good people? The question should be, why in God's mercy does he allow anything good to happen to us? I mean, that should be the way that we look at it. Because all of us are broken. All of us are bent to rebellion and doing our own thing. Right? I mean, just look at your kids. You don't teach a kid to be selfish. I saw, I saw Jennifer Holland. She's here somewhere. I don't know where you're at. Jennifer, uh, you've got this beautiful new baby. Let me guess. The beautiful new baby doesn't really care when you want to sleep, right? He's going to cry and say, come and get me whenever, I, whenever he wants. Because he's selfish. Now, he's perfect. And I, I'll, he's, but that's the way kids are. And that's the way we are. And so, and so, Peter starts with mercy because he wants us to understand the context. We can say, well, why does bad things happen to good people? Or we can say, why does God allow anything good to happen to us? See, religion says this. Religion says, we are good, so God owes us. And this is where religion, you want to do as many good things because that way you feel like, God, you owe me. You have to bless me. But the gospel, the gospel says something different. The gospel says you and I, we're evil. We're broken. But God in his mercy has chosen to love us. That's mercy right there. And because God is merciful to us, we then respond to him. And this is the difference between religion and the gospel of Christianity. So he starts focusing on mercy. 
starts focusing on, hey, we are blessed because God has extended his love towards us. And he moves next from mercy unto hope. In fact, when we deal with this question on, on, on why we can stand for our faith, the first reason why we can stand in our faith is because our faith is built on a living hope. Your faith and my faith is built on a living hope. Here's, here's what Peter writes. He says, Blessed be the God uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. This is uh, the term that we would describe salvation. This is John chapter 3. That we, when we place our faith in Jesus, we are made new. We are born again into the family of God. He says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. See, that hope that he's talking about, the hope is, is, is what we look forward to on the other side of the pain. When we're going through that, that difficulty, we look and we, we have that picture of something on the other side of that difficulty. And if we could just have this, then that would get us through. That would tell me we're going to be okay. That would tell me it's all worth it. In fact, there's, um, there's a book that I read an excerpt from this past week. A guy by the name of Frank, um, Victor Frankl. And Victor Frankl was a Jewish um, Austrian uh, psychoanalyst who was imprisoned during um, uh, the Holocaust at Auschwitz. And, uh, and he talked about hope. He talked about how, how, how different people responded to suffering in those death camps in the Holocaust. He said, there were some people who responded to that hopeless situation by becoming brutal and cruel themselves. You ever heard the term, hurt people, hurt people? Those people, as they're suffering on those, those horrible circumstances, they responded then by continuing to mistreat other people around them as well. Others, he said, others gave up. He said, this is what he said. He said, usually this happened quite suddenly. The symptoms of which were familiar to us, experienced by camp inmates. We all feared for this moment in our friends. Usually it began one morning when the prisoner simply refused to get dressed or wash or go out to the parade grounds for inspection. No entreaties, no blows, no threats had any effect. They just lay there. They had given up. Nothing bothered them anything more anymore because they had no hope. You ever seen someone in life going through a hardship and they've just given up? Just said, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. He said, third, many people held on to hope that they'd return to society and everything that they had lost been restored. So those imprisoned in the camps having a hope that, hey, this is going to end someday and we're going to be able to go back to our lives, go back to our homes, and everything will be just right. And what they found is when the war was over and they got sent back home, everything was destroyed. They didn't have anything to begin with. All those things that they were hoping for were gone. And their hope was shattered because their lives were completely different even after it. He said the ones who truly overcame Auschwitz, the ones who truly overcame that, that, that hopeless situation, were the ones who had a fixed reference point beyond this world. A hope that held out onto past, that, that, that death and destruction could not touch. Here, here's a quote he said. He said, life in concentration camps tears open a soul and exposes its depths and its foundations. The people who truly survived, they had a hope that was beyond this world. That all the things that happened in this world, death and destruction and pain and hardship, could not take away, could not affect because it was beyond this world. 
And do we understand that you're, when you go through trials, when you go through pain, it exposes where your heart is, where your hope is. When you go through a hardship, it exposes where your hope actually is. Because most of us, if we're going to be honest, most of us, our hope is based on circumstances. When we're going through a hard time, our hope is that my circumstances will change. One day, one day I'll get the recognition I deserve. One day I'll finally meet someone I can marry. One, one day I'll have a good job. One day, one day some people will like me. And so we base our hope that our circumstances are going to change. And what happens is when things don't go that way, when things don't look like they're going to change, we begin to despair. We give up. We get bitter. Have you ever met the girl who had her heart broken by the guy? And then she says, all men are pigs. All of them. Why? Because that one guy, she's given up. She's bitter. She's, she's casting this out. She has just given up. So here's what he says. He says, uh, he says, you caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is a hope that Viktor Frankl was talking about. Something glorious, something wonderful that is beyond the scope of this world. This is a hope that, that, that destruction and hardship and death in this life cannot touch. This is what makes our pain worth it. This is what gives us hope that we can endure, that we can see to the other side. Because our hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, of our salvation on the day that we meet him face to face and we're with him in eternity. And we see this word hope, and I, I want to make sure we understand what this word hope means. Because we look at hope and we think it's something like, um, you know, something that we desire some future thing that we're uncertain is going to happen. So, you know, like some of you, some of you hope that the Cavaliers are going to win the, the NBA Finals. And some of you are a little bit smarter, like me, and you say the series is three and one, and we know what happened the last time the series was three and one, right? I don't know if you're a Warriors fan or not, but I'm excited. And I have a hope that the, war, that, that the Cavaliers are going to win a couple games and walk out with the NBA championship. I have a hope. Do I have a confidence that that's really going to happen? Uh, huh. uh, I don't know. But I'm hoping it happens. But you see, the biblical term of hope is different than our term. Because when the Bible talks about hope, it's not talking about something that is uncertain. It's talking about having um, uh, complete confidence. It's a matter of complete confidence. And specifically when Peter writes about this living hope, he's saying that we can be fully confident that we have an inheritance waiting for us that cannot be affected because Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus rose from the grave. And that is our living hope, that he is coming back again to make all things right. You think about this resurrection, like what that means, the fact that Jesus died and rose from the grave. Think about the impact that the resurrection had on Peter himself. Like we know Peter, we, we talked about Peter last time. The darkest hours of Peter's life were probably in the day that Jesus died. Do you remember what happened? Jesus, Messiah, he was going to bring this new kingdom. He was their savior. He was going to make all things right. He was going to usher in this new kingdom. He didn't, like, he didn't like when Jesus started talking about death. He didn't like Jesus talking about, hey, I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. He didn't like that at all. 
And he would argue with Jesus. In fact, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, remember what Peter did? He took his sword out and he tried to, he tried to chop his head off and he missed and got his ear. He wasn't very good with the aim. He, he didn't like that at all. And so Jesus is arrested. And, and Peter's afraid. He's afraid of what just happened. Remember, Peter denies Jesus three times. He says, no, I'm not a follower of Jesus. While Jesus is being beaten, here's Peter denying that he even knows who Jesus is. We know that Jesus died. And you can just picture, you can picture Peter. Friday night, Saturday. Man, he would have been in utter despair. Like, where's his hope now? Jesus has died. Peter turned his back on Jesus. Man, all the hope is gone when you look at the circumstances. But listen, you know what happens on Sunday? On Sunday, that tomb is empty. On Sunday, Jesus appears. Jesus appears to Peter, restores Peter, says, Hey, hey, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And and Jesus restores him and says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep three times. If you love me, feed my sheep. He, He restores him. And he turns, he turns that sadness into joy. He turns Peter's despair into to triumph. And Peter begins to realize, man, God had a plan. It looked, like, it looked like on the day that Jesus died, it looked like God had no control at all. And now that he can see the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive. He realizes, man, God had a plan. That Sunday was coming to reverse the pain of Friday and Saturday. And this is what he means when he's talking about having a living hope. That we have a savior who died, who was buried. And three days later, he walked out of the grave. Like that should mean something to us. He is alive today. This is something that completely changed Peter. We looked at that last week, two weeks ago. This completely changed Peter. The fact that Jesus died and rose from the grave. And became our living hope. This is a hope that cannot be destroyed. This is a hope that death tried to destroy and death could not hold him down. Jesus walked out of the grave and said, death, I beat you. I defeated you. It cannot stop us. And that is why Peter says we have a living hope. And I just wonder, like that term hopeful, is that a word that describes your life? As you're looking at your life, Is that what somebody would say, man, I look at that person, I see them being hopeful. Because oftentimes what we do is we look at our circumstances. And we allow our circumstances to dictate how we feel. Man, there's too many times that I have to admit I'm not very hopeful. I'm looking at a situation, man, this sucks. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think there's any way. But when we understand that we have a living hope. Because Jesus walked out of that grave. That he was resurrected. The fact of the empty tomb means that the Savior has secured our inheritance for us. It is bought. It is paid for. It is there for us. I think about Jim Herring. Jim Herring is a guy. Man, I hate that guy. I love him. I I don't know what I do. I I love and I hate him. It's a love-hate relationship. Jim Herring, uh, one of our elders here at the church, I don't really hate him. I I love him. I, I envy him in ways. Because Jim Herring is a guy, he's going to have two knees replaced this summer, all right? So he went on a Monday to have surgery to have his knee replaced, okay? And I went in and saw him. 
And I'm like, dude, you just had your knee replaced. You've got months uh, of recovery. And then he's going back in in July to have the other knee replaced. He's going to spend all summer in a bed in his living room doing physical therapy, trying to regain the strength in his legs. Okay, now that sucks. That's tough. And guess what happened? I walked in to see him, and guess what he's doing? Smiling. He's smiling. Why are you smiling, Jim? Like, why are you smiling right now? You just had surgery. You, they just made you walk all around the hospital. You're in pain, yet you're still smiling. Why are you smiling, Jim? And this is where we go into an elders meeting. And, and Jim's one of our elders, and he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, Jim, you don't know what happened. Here's what happened this week. And, and I just, the church is going to fall apart. And Jim is just calm, and Jim's like, man, God is good. This is an opportunity for God to show himself. I'm like, Jim, man, either you're on some sort of medication that I want some of, or your hope is indifferent, it's not in your circumstances. You have a hope that is placed securely in a living hope because of what Jesus has done for you. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want in my life. I want to have that, that assurance that no matter what's happening right here, right now, God's got me covered. God's got my inheritance bought and paid for, and it is secured for me. And my hope is in him, not in what happens around me. This is why, this is why when you look at our city, I mean, our city is facing a difficult spring. Um, you read the newspaper, you listen to the news. We've had shootings. We've had these, these robberies we've talked about. There's some bad things happening in our city. And it's interesting because you go onto Facebook, and there's a couple Christians I know that I cannot stand anymore. Because I look at what they say on Facebook. They're like, Yakima's a horrible place. Get out and get away. Like, leave it. It's a horrible place. It's just, it's, it's, you, you don't want to touch Yakima with a 10-foot pole. Hey, I want to be a realist. Our city has its challenges. But you know what? Despite our challenges, the tomb is still empty. Despite our challenges, the tomb is still empty. And my Jesus is still living. And my living hope has promised to restore what's been broken, to make right what's gone wrong. And my hope isn't tied into what's happening right here. My hope isn't tied to the fact that Jesus is alive today and is still working. And I'm not going to allow the circumstances right here to dictate my hope for my city because I know Jesus is still alive. Jesus is still working. A broken city gives God an opportunity to bring beauty out of the ashes. A broken city gives God the opportunity to bring, uh, to, to turn our mourning into laughter. To use people like us. To make a difference. We're not to be hopeless people. Having our, 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 our hope swayed by circumstances. To be disencouraged just by what's in front of us. But we're supposed to be hopeful because of the living hope we have in Jesus Christ. See, we live, like Peter, we live, in that, we live in that Friday, Saturday time frame. We live in that season where circumstances around us can be difficult. And I don't know about you, uh, maybe you're in a season of life where things are really good. And if you are, praise God, enjoy it while you're there. Because what I know, life happens. Things get difficult. Work becomes hard. Relationships struggle. People die. Health fails. These things happen. See, we live in this, this Friday, Saturday time frame where if we look at our circumstances, 
man, that's hard. But we have to live with an anticipation. Sunday's coming. There's going to be a day when Jesus comes back and makes all things right and takes us to eternity with him in heaven. And that's where our hope lies. Not in this, not in the fact that we're here on Friday, Saturday, but that Sunday's coming. That we have something better waiting for us. Man, what if, what if you saw your life through the lens of the cross and through the resurrection? What if we started looking at our circumstances, looking at what we're going through, through the lens of the cross and, and, and the resurrection? That there was a glorious Sunday morning that's going to follow our Friday and our Saturday. That there's going to be a day when all sad things are going to come untrue and be made right. How would that change how we live today? By seeing our life through that lens of the resurrection, of knowing that Sunday's coming. An inheritance where death and disease cannot touch. And then we can look at the most painful parts of our life and understand that they are working towards that end to make Sunday all that more glorious. Number one, we stand in our faith because we have a living hope. Number two, we stand in our faith Because our trials don't mean that we're forgotten. Our trials don't mean that God doesn't love us and and, 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 and has has forgotten us or he's trying to judge us or, or punish us because we're bad. We stand in our faith because trials are there to strengthen our trust in him. Here's here's what he says in verse six. Peter says, In this, in this promise, in this promise of a living hope, you rejoice, though now though now for a little while, again, remember, we're in this little time. We know Sunday's coming. He says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I love the words that that Peter uses here. He uses these two words about we're supposed to rejoice, even though we're going to be grieved for a little while. These two terms, rejoice and grieved, um, they're they're, they're very intense words. When he talks about rejoicing, this is is an intense rejoicing. This is kind kind of like a kid before Christmas where you can hardly contain your joy. Like that's how we're supposed to rejoice. And this word grieved is intense. It's, it's the same word that is used uh, talking about uh, Jesus on the cross. It means for us to be crushed. So he's saying, when you follow Jesus, oftentimes, simultaneously, this is walking with a great joy and a deep pain. That we have these two things going on inside of us when we follow Jesus. And he says, sometimes for a little while, we may struggle. We may have difficulty. We may have hardship. But why is that? Because we're in a fallen world. We're in a fallen world. We are affected by sinful people. Sinful people around us, we are affected by them. We're affected by our own sin. Sometimes we do dumb things that bring hardships on us. And we're like, man, what did this happen for? Like, like, like this is great when a girl comes in and says, you know, Pastor, why did I get pregnant? Well... I'm going to take a guess why you got pregnant. There's probably a reason why you got pregnant. We, sometimes for a little while, we're going to struggle. And it's easier for us to say, well, why? I'm a good person. This isn't fair. Why do I got to go through this hard thing? But here's what Peter says. He says, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, these trials, these hardships we go through, they are meant to purify our faith. And he he uses a description of of purifying gold in the fire. Fire 
doesn't destroy the gold. It removes the impurities to make it pure, solid gold. And that's what trials do. Trials reveal the places where we aren't really trusting after God. It reveals the areas that our faith isn't strong enough. I know you and I, at least maybe not for you, maybe for me, when I'm going through a hardship, when I'm going through a trial that I don't feel like I deserve, I'm like, God, God, where are you? God, you've forgotten me. And I think that just begins to reveal the areas where we love God's gifts more than we love God himself. In fact, there's a story that kind of paints this picture. Uh, when I worked at Madison House, one of the kids we were working with, um, this was a kid who had a, uh, probably as rough of a family background as anybody. Um, he had two older brothers that were both serving 10 plus years prison sentences for, for gang-related issues. And this is a kid that I got to know in middle school. And we looked at this kid coming from a horrible background. But a kid that we saw God's potential. Man, God could really do something with you. Man, man, if you follow after God, man, man, God could do some tremendous things for you. You could be a leader. You could do amazing things, man. I, because I care for you, man, I'm on your side. I, I'm with you. I got your back, man. You follow after God, I got your back no matter what. Had this conversation with this kid. We love you. We're for you. You know what he did the next day? He went and he scratched one of our staff members' cars. Oh, gosh, what do you do now? Here you've got this kid coming from a rough background who just purposely did a bunch of damage to a staff person's car. Cost us $500 to pay the insurance policy to get that scratch fixed in the car. What do you do with that kid? There was a couple of our staff people said, we need to throw him out. He, we had the conversation with him. He didn't respond. We just, we can't have that around us. Do you know what I did? I called him in. I said, man, I told you yesterday I got you. I told you yesterday I love you and I'm for you. That doesn't change. Tell me why you did it. He said, because I've had a lot of people tell me they love me. And as soon as the hard, as soon as the hard times came, they were gone. They were never real. So I scratched that car to see, are you real? Are you really going to love me? Are you really going to stick beside me? Are you really going to walk through life with me? Listen, isn't that what our trials do in the same way? Trying to show, are we real? Sure, we can, we can praise God in the good times. We can follow God in the good times. But what about the bad? Are we real? Do we really follow after God? Sure, we can trust in areas that are good, but when the car gets scratched, when the life gets hard, when the health fails, when we lose the job, when our circumstances are changed for the worse, are we still going to follow after him and still praise him? I mean, what's the, what's the last big thing that you faced in life? What's the last difficulty you faced? Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe you're like, you don't understand the circumstance I'm in right now. This is the worst thing I've ever been through. How you respond to that trial is going to reveal to you something about where your faith is and where your trust is. Additionally, he says, facing hardships, he said that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, when we endure those trials... They're going to be uh, found to result in praise and glory and honor at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we think, well, those, those are things like if I endure those trials, then I'll give those things, praise and honor and glory to Jesus when I see him. But that's not what that means. It actually means the opposite. 
It means that when we endure those things, that we get praise and glory and honor from Jesus himself. See, Pete, Pete, Peter, man, he's been a people pleaser. He's always wanted people's approval. In fact, there's that story of, of Peter and the disciples. Remember, they're walking on the road and they're talking about, hey, which of us disciples is the greatest? Like, which one of us is better than everybody else? Because we want everyone else to, to look and see how great we are. Peter's a guy like me. I like people's approval. But now Peter's saying, listen, I don't care about their approval. The only approval I want is from God. I want the honor and glory and praise, not from you, but from God himself. And I'm willing to endure because that's what I'm looking for. And he says in verse 8, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice uh, with joy that is unexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcoming of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, we, we can't see Jesus face to face. Peter saw him. As Peter's thinking about Jesus, he could think about, man, remember that one time uh, Jesus was walking on water and, and, and he said, Peter, come on out. And I got out of the boat and I walked on water until I got scared and then I sank and Jesus saved me. And he said, oh, remember that one time that Jesus took me up on the mountain and I got to see the transfiguration and Moses and Elijah? That was amazing. I mean, Peter had all these visions in his mind. Yeah, I can, when I think about Jesus, I can think about him physically. You and I can't. And Peter's amazed. He says, we still believe in him and we have faith in him even though we have not seen him. And he says, it should fill us with, with joy that is inexpressible. And he says, he says in verse 9, that the outcome of our faith, the outcome of our faith is salvation when Christ returns. Why do you follow Jesus? What is the outcome of your faith? Well, I follow Jesus because I want him to bless me. Well, I go to church because, you know, uh, I got this, I, I want this new job. And I figure if I go to church, maybe God will bless me. Well, I go to church because uh, I want my kids to you know, to, to, to grow up in the church. What is the outcome of your faith? Because Peter says this, the, out, the goal of our faith, the outcome of our faith is salvation of our souls when Jesus returns. That is why we believe. It's for salvation with him in eternity. And here's the third reason why we can stand in our faith in the midst of hardships. It's because of the glory of the gospel. I love this, verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring the person and the time the Spirit of Christ was in them, uh, in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. He says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, the things they have announced <coughs> uh, to you through those who preach the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels long to look, on, look to. Look to. Like, do you understand how marvelous the gospel is? Do you understand how, how amazing the gospel is? Have you ever just stood here and just, just thought, man, God loved me so much that he wouldn't let death stand in his way of loving me? You ever stood just before God and said, wow, God loved me so much that he took my sin so he could come and rescue me. 
Peter says, this is what the prophets of old, they listened to their words. They listened to these things. They, they listened to how, how the Savior was going to come and bring new, good news to the poor. How he was going to come and, and bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open to the prison to those who are bound. They heard all these things and they desperately wanted it. They said, Jesus, will it, or God, will it come now? God, will Jesus come now and give me the opportunity to experience this? They desperately sought and desired what you and I have now today through Jesus. And those Old Testament prophets, they served us by pointing us to the glory of the cross. How marvelous it is. In fact, it is so marvelous that he says even the angels, they long to look onto it. The angels, they're kind of an an outsider to the drama of sin and redemption. The angels, they've never sinned. So they've never had to experience what it feels like to be given mercy, to be given grace, to become forgiven and redeemed. And they love to watch the work of salvation unfold in our lives. In fact, that's where uh, the scripture says that, that the angels in heaven, they throw a party when one sinner repents because it is so glorious and beautiful. Do you understand how marvelous it is that we are saved by grace? That we can stand up and say, I'm a broken person. I'm bent towards all these areas. But God, in his mercy, has chosen to love me. And call me his son. And call me his daughter. The Old Testament prophets, they longed for this day. The angels, they longed to look down and see that happen in our hearts and our lives. What if... What if you and I based our understanding of God's love on the cross? What if we based our understanding of God's love through what Jesus did for us on the cross? Because that's where it is. Say, well, what about my situation? My situation sucks. I've got this hard thing going on. I've got my kids doing places they shouldn't be going. I've got a job that's falling apart. My situation, it sucks. What if you base your understanding of God's love on the cross? That even though you don't deserve mercy and grace and love, God gave it to you anyways. And so we don't define God's love by what's happening in my life right now, but we define God's love by the fact that he extended and sent his son Jesus to the cross for us. Like what if that became our definition of God's love? Not just God helping things in my life go good. See, we have got to understand the the, the depths of God's love. It's through the cross. It's not through our circumstances. It's the fact that we are guilty before God. Because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, we've been stamped forgiven, redeemed, chosen, mine. See, my faith has found a resting place. My faith has not found a resting place in a, in, a, in a creed or in a device or in religion. My faith trusts in the living hope. The one who died and was buried and walked out of that grave to restore all things, to make all things right. Listen, it may start here, for there will be a day when all things will be made right. And that is the, 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 the goal of our faith, the outcome of our faith, that Jesus comes, 
and restores all things. Let's pray. God, you are such a good God. And I just stand up here right now just thinking about just the glory of the gospel. That God is selfish and foolish and rebellious as I know my heart is. God, you still chose to love me. You still chose to send your son, Jesus, to the cross for me. So I could be forgiven. So I could be made right. So I could be called the son of God. God, I pray for us here today. Help us, God. Open our eyes to see the glory of the gospel. The love that you've extended to us. The mercy that you have given us. That we are loved even when it's undeserved. God, I pray that you expose the areas that we've allowed our hope to be tied to our circumstances. God, I pray that you help us to see that we have a living hope. That we have an empty tomb and that we have a Jesus who is beginning to restore all things. We may not experience it completely in this life, but there is a life to come that he will make all things right. God, help us to place our hope in that. God, help us to understand in the midst of of trials. I think those in here today God, I pray that you give them that, that, that vision, the understanding that in the midst of this trial, of this hardship, God, that's not a lack of God's love. That is God trying to strengthen us, trying to reveal areas that we haven't submitted to him so he can redeem them and purify our faith and make us stronger. God, give us the glory of the gospel. Let us see that vision today of how good you are and how great you are.